Um, thank you, Jesus, for you truly have saved our lives. Okay, um, today we're going to be in Luke 9, verses 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let them go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay. Thank you so much, for, um, Tracy, and thank you, young people. I think we all have wet masks now. <laughs> um, that was just beautiful. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for your hard work and for our young people for that wonderful demonstration of Christ's love. Um, so, so, simple thing. Thank you, Jesus. You have saved my life. Um, and oh boy, if he hasn't saved your life yet, I hope he does soon, because it's wonderful. Um, I wanted to remind everyone, too, that corporate prayer is on Wednesday, this Wednesday at 7 p.m., and I hope that you can all join us. Um, we're going to have a wonderful time just pr being with each other and praying for each other, for just God's presence in our lives. I hope that you can be here. And um, I would like to take a moment now just again to pray for... Um, our sister Fran and her um, family members and whatnot. I do want to do something a little different too. Um, I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, anyone else who wants to just say a prayer too, um, maybe one or two people, um, and then after that I'll 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 close us. Okay, all right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for your word, that your word abides, and your word is true. And that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is yea and amen. So we thank you for the promises of Christ and for the blood of Jesus applied to our lives through faith. Oh God, it's real. It's not a nice story. It's not a myth. Christ is beautiful. He is our creator, the love of our lives. And he's worth selling everything that we own to follow. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that we would love you and that you this morning would be with our sister Fran um, in these final moments of her life. Help her to have a flash of Christ and his beauty and love and greet her. I pray for Norm and for um, her grandchildren and other children, Lord, and people that love her um, as they gather around her right now, no doubt, near her room or in her room, bless them and comfort them in Christ's name.
And this mm. little dash between two dates is nothing compared to what you have prepared for those who love you. Mm. We thank you for Fran. We thank you for her loving your word. Mm. We thank you for her That's loving prayer. We thank you for her loving church and giving and mm. fellowship. We praise you, God, for her life on this earth. Mm. And we, we hand her over to you, God, mm. fully equipped to be embraced in your arms. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh God, how wonderful is your word um, when it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that, um, that you, your son, has approached what is unapproachable. Um, <clears throat> it says in particular, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold, of, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the command unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. God, Jesus lives where you can't live. He approaches what we can't approach. And because he approaches you, the Heavenly Father, we can too. And God, our sister Fran is about to approach the unapproachable one because of Jesus Christ. God, we love you and thank you and ask you that you bless the rest of our service in Jesus' name. Amen. So my, my timer thing is broke, so we're going long. Um, um, about four years ago, I was uh, asked by my brother-in-law to, um, to join him and Malcolm over there uh, to climb Mount Adams in New Hampshire. <laughs> um, Mount Adams is in the presidential range of the White Mountains in New Hampshire, and it's the second highest mountain in the Northeast, second only to Mount Washington, which is right on the side of it. So when I was asked uh, to climb it, in spite of my pear-shaped figure, um, I, I, in all my contemplative wisdom, said, sure, 
Why not? What could happen? Um, round trip, it's approximately 10 miles to hike to the summit and back, and it is arduous, if you've ever done it. Uh, on, the way, on the way up, I, find, I found myself just pretty huffing and puffing, um, like, you know, Casey Jr. and Dumbo, that little train that just couldn't make it up the hill. Um, but, you know, if you've ever done anything like this, your heart tends to calm down and you get your second wind. And about four to five hours later, we summited and it was beautiful. And we enjoyed the view, the, the view for a bit and we, we headed back down. Um, and that's when the fun began. Um, well, I was, um, in all my wisdom and experience in, in climbing mountains, I was jumping instead of carefully kind of descending, right? I decided I'm just going to jump off of these rocks. And uh, about a half hour in, I could barely walk. My knee was on fire. And Malcolm remembers this, right? Malcolm, like, almost had to carry me. Um, and we're still, by the way, I'm in massive pain. My knee is in massive pain. And we're still two hours away from the car. Oh, and by the way, the sun set, so it's dark. Um, <laughs> my brother-in-law, who, who is a pretty fit guy, if you know him, um, I was trying to act like him. Don't be yourself when you're climbing a mountain. Um, but um, he, 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 we decide just, you know, again, a group think, a democracy took out, um, and we voted to send him on ahead because I was limping and I was slow. Um, but we, we didn't send him ahead to fetch a mountain. Um, <laughs> this is in Canada, by the way, but um, I thought that was funny, so I said Mountie. Um, so we didn't send him to, to fetch some, some help. Uh, to call for help. No, we sent him on ahead because the pizza place was going to close before we got back to the car. And we're like, we didn't go through all this to not get pizza at the end. So, so Jamie, you run ahead, and now Malcolm and I are in the woods alone with barely any, Mal I think we had a, a half-working flashlight attached to Malcolm's head. Um, it was dark. I could barely move. We could barely see the trail markers. I think at one point we even got off the trail because we thought it was the right way. And all of a sudden, we're like, no, this is clearly not where we're supposed to be. And I'm starting to panic, right? I'm like that. I'm the panicker. And Malcolm was like, cool as a cucumber. Um, and I'm like, what's going to happen to us? We got to get back to the car. And um, Malcolm's like, it's OK, Kyle. I brought you know canned meat, so we'll be fine. Um, <laughs> it was clear at the end of all this that I was not fit for this climb. Right? I thought I was, but I wasn't. Jesus said at the end of this story about these would-be disciples that if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you are not fit for my kingdom. Friends, if God has called you to salvation by grace through faith, if he has forgiven you of your sin, he did not do it so that you can be a couch potato. He wants to make you fit. He wants you to be his disciple and follow him. He wants you to be able to climb those mountains under the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and endure. And you can do it. Not because you're something else, or you're smart, funny, or good-looking. You can do it because of the Spirit of God that he's given you to empower you to do it. If you can't do it, it means God can't do it. And I don't buy that. God can do anything. Isn't that true? 
Salvation, yes. In a sense, it is something that happens to us later. We die, we breathe our last, or Christ returns and we see him in eternity. That is true. But it begins now. That's the call of salvation. Not just to be saved later, to spend an eternity with God. It is to live with him and walk with him and follow him today. Amen? None of us who claim faith in Christ are off the hook. And by the way, if this sounds kind of hard or, or difficult to hear, our happiness is bound up in this. To be truly happy and at rest and have purpose and contented, it is only found when we fix our eyes on Christ and follow him and trust him. So this morning I want to uh, look at another important teaching about Jesus and the call and cost of discipleship. It's a short series that we'll be doing for the next couple of weeks. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus begins his ministry by calling people to follow him. So Jesus isn't sort of like just a lone ranger doing miracles. He wants little Jesuses to be made. He wants to build his kingdom through people who trust in him and follow him and continue to spread the light of his message and love, right? So he begins to call people. And he comes across in Mark chapter 2, a guy named Levi, who you all might know as Matthew. He was a tax collector. We like those guys. Is that true? You guys like tax collectors? We like to be taxed. We love to be overtaxed. Isn't that the case? Um, well, people, were just, people enjoyed being overtaxed and taxed just as much as that they do today. Um, and there's a little bit of a twist, though. Um, as maybe, maybe some people throw rocks at me but for saying this, but our, our environment isn't quite as corrupt as theirs were. They, these tax collectors would, would tax them and then overtax them and keep the overtax for themselves. And there really wasn't anything that they could do about it because they had power. So, so this is the scene. Jewish tax, tax collectors are basically robbing fellow Jews in the name of Rome and Caesar, lining their pockets with the prophets and exploiting their own people. And everybody knows it. So Jesus has a bright idea. This is his VP, his running mate, a dirtbag that nobody likes. He calls Levi to follow him as one of his first disciples, a capital S scumbag, right, that everybody hated. That doesn't seem really smart if you're building a team and you're trying to attract people to come see your thing. You don't want, you don't want to pick your inner circle to be people everyone hates, right? That, how are you going to build a crowd with that? So he calls Matthew, in spite of this kind of weird thing that Jesus is doing, he, he would have done well to talk to maybe some of Trump or Biden's PR guys and pick someone else, but he doesn't listen to that advice, and he calls Matthew. And Matthew does this interesting thing in chapter 2, verse 14 of Mark's gospel. It says very simply this, he arose and followed him. Just like that. No explanation as to why Matthew followed him. He left his job that was making him rich to follow a poor Jewish rabbi with no name. Oh, by the way, Jesus was, 
was from perhaps one of the poorer families. So he had nothing to offer him. Read in the story, you almost want to kind of stop the story. You wish you could pause it and sort of like reach into the narrative and say, Matthew, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you following? This does not make sense. Why are you following Jesus? There's no psychological or economic or social reasons given as to why Matthew decided to listen to Jesus in this moment and follow him. It's almost as if like the text is implying that he followed Jesus simply because it was Jesus and Jesus is better. Jesus is better than money. Jesus is better than fame. Jesus is better than comfort. Why would I stay here when Jesus is calling? You see, friends, and we all have to answer that same question. Because Jesus, the creator, the lover of our souls, the one who made us and loves you to death, is calling you to love him and enjoy him forever. Why are you staying put? When you hear the beautiful sound of the Savior's voice and it says, come Follow me. You see, friends, it's very simple. Mark 2 tells us <clears throat> that the task of discipleship really is about a vision of Christ as preeminent and better than anything we could imagine. The word of God simply says, follow me run along beside me. That's the word actually means. It's very simple. The call to life is very simple. He leads, we follow. We don't lead him, and he doesn't follow us. We surrender and say, I'm following you. I'm not following my heart. I'm not following my mom or dad. I'm not following culture. I'm following Christ. I'm going to stop following myself and others and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that famous German that resisted Hitler, and for all, for, uh, on surface at least, he lost because he was executed by Hitler. But he loved the Lord Jesus Christ and stood for righteousness. He says this about Mark chapter 2. This act is quite devoid of significance. When Jesus said, follow me, and he did, he actually did it, Matthew did it, right? It's very simple. It's very short. Follow me. Okay. This act is quite devoid of significance, he says. The disciple simply burned his boats and goes ahead. He simply burned his boats and goes ahead. He forsook his old life for a new one. You see, friends, that's what this is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about following the Lord it's about not trusting in our boats and following him. So I want to talk about three things, actually, from our text. We're going to get back to it now. Um, and that will be just basically the bulk of our, of our service this morning about discipleship and its cost. Number one, it is weighty. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is an implication. And then we'll close with talking about how the cost of discipleship is better than the weight it brings. Okay? So let's talk about its weightiness. Much of what we call Christianity is, is simply an agreement with doctrine. You pray to prayer. You, you are taught sort of like what to believe. 
the lines, you know, Jesus is God in the flesh, he died for sins. We can sort of like rehearse all of this. So much of what we call Christianity is simply sort of rehearsing a doctrinal statement. We say yes to theological truths about following Jesus, and we think, okay, I'm going to heaven when I die because I said yes to those things and not no to those things. So, but while we logically agree with the truth claims of Christ, it doesn't seem very often we're very good at following him. Imagine believing in Jesus, but not following Jesus. It's almost as if to say that really I don't believe in him. Because if we say that we believe in him, James says, I will show you my faith by my works. To claim to have faith in Christ, to be Lord and Savior, and to not follow him implies that you do not believe he is Lord. Lord is God. He is creator. He is someone that we follow. That's what the word means. Our text talks about the weightiness of following Jesus, and it is all about denial. Jesus says, follow me, and I want you to leave behind three things. I don't know if you picked up on these. But he, he says, if you want to follow me, he's got these three sort of would-be disciples, and he says to them, okay, if you want to follow me, you've got you to leave three things. You've got to leave your comforts, you've got to leave your religion, and you have to leave your, your family. <laughs> okay? We'll get into this in a moment, because this means more than we think it means. You've got to leave your comfort, you've got to leave your religion, and you've got to leave mom and dad. Okay, let's talk about it. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Notice in this passage, Jesus goes up to Matthew, and Matthew says, follow me. And Matthew responds. But this guy, Jesus isn't even looking at him, and he just runs up to Jesus. I will follow you. Like, hey, can you pick me too? As they were walking along, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's the cost of discipleship. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't soften the expectation of what it means to be a Christian. There's no shallow end of the pool that he invites people to start in, right? Hey, come, listen, have a tea. We have soft chairs. There's air conditioning, right? We, we, we tend to be, our, church, our churches tend to be very sensitive and don't say anything confrontational, you know, get people to come back, you know, and then we can let them know the real deal a little bit later on, Right? Jesus starts with, hey, if you want to follow me, you're not going to have a place to sleep. You still want to follow me. So he doesn't soften the, the expectation. He doesn't put this guy in the shallow end of the pool. And for so many of us, as just I reflect on this, one of, one of the chief aims of my life is simply to be comfortable. I don't know about you, but like, you know, when am I going to get home so I can sit on my chair? It's very comfortable. You know, like, and I can have that piece of pizza that's in the fridge. I'm, my, my, my life just sort of resolves around the next vacation I'm going to take, um, you know, and, and how much comfort that I can amass for myself. To have simply a, a place to lay my head, a memory foam mattress and a down pillow, right? <laughs> but Jesus tells this guy right away, if you want to follow me, you've got to stop following you. Right? You have to. So I'm going to take you places that were never part of your plan, right? Places that are uncomfortable. I'm going to call you to give things up that you never would have given up. Your new pillow is going to be a rock in the wilderness rather than a pillow in Jerusalem. Friends, this doesn't mean that Jesus never provides us comfort. 
or that we can't have mattresses. <laughs> it simply means that we need to see him as the real comfort that we've been after all along. And we're not willing to trade him for comfortable things in this world. We're willing to go where he tells us to go, even if it makes us uncomfortable. When our day, let me just kind of give you like a, just like a very practical example of this. When you're busy and you've been working all day and you're sweating and tired, right? It's been a 10-hour work day. You've been, you've been at it all day. And now you're home and what do you want to do? You want to relax, right? So this is, what, this is what I do. This is my relax. This is my relaxation sort of plan when I get home. I plop on my couch. Um, I kind of secretly hope that my wife puts all the kids to bed right, and does everything that needs to happen with them so, so that I can remain sitting on my blessed assurance on my leather couch, right? So that's, that, so I sit on my couch, you know, kids are to bed, so this is my plan. Get some food, get some snacks, and let's watch Stranger Things on Netflix, right? You, you might have another show of choice or whatever it is that you do, you watch the news, but that's sort of like the, the when I'm thinking about, I've been, I, and not only that, I deserve this. I'm tired, right? So this is sort of my plan to decompress. So night after night, I choose stranger things over the king of kings to chill me out. I neglect prayer. I neglect the word of God because that's busy work. That's sort of like mental exercise. I'm tired. Reading is hard. Praying is hard. So, so I replace sort of my version of rest for God's version of rest. When he tells me to come to him, he invites me to rest. So what do I believe? What do I, I'm a Christian. I say I believe God. Do I really believe that he brings me more rest than TV? So often I have to admit to you that the answer to that question in my life is, if you look at my actions, the answer has to be no. I don't really believe that. Because on a, on a very long day, when I've neglected prayer and the word, and I've worked all day, and now I'm tired, I believe that my couch and my TV is going to give me more rest than Jesus Christ. You see? It's something that I've believed. So I grab my sleepy time tea, I put my feet up, and I fall asleep listening to a glowing tube rather than listening to my Savior. And this is the ironic thing. This is the twist. Um, I'm never really going to know rest until I trade that stuff for Jesus Christ. Until I jump in the deep end and I say, nope, I'm going to believe that the Savior, the Creator, is actually the rest I'm looking for. And he's going to give it to me and provide it for me more than sports more than a good novel, more than Star Trek, pick your, po pick your poison, right? And again, this isn't about saying like we, we're not allowed to watch television anymore. It's about what we trust, what we turn to, right? If you really want to be comforted, we need to leave our version of comfortable things and run after the Comforter, our Savior Jesus. So he says too, 
follow me, leave your comforts. Follow me, leave your religion. You say, I like that one. See you, man. <laughs> Going to the beach. Right? Um, he says in verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, it seems here that this man was interested in his family, and no doubt there are hints of sort of familial and maybe even economic stuff going on here. But really at the heart of this, he was obeying the law of Moses. The law of Moses commanded, instructed ways in which the children of Israel were to care for their family. He was just being a good Jew in this, right? So Jesus challenges him. This would-be disciple of Jesus Christ, he challenges him. He says, you have to choose. Do you think that burying your father is what makes you right with me, or do you think that I do? Right? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what scripture teaches. It's the difference between trusting in his rule following to make him right with the Lord or trusting in Christ to make him right. Now, again, this is not about disregarding moral principles of God's nature. It's not about, um, it, it, but it is about, excuse me, not trusting in my ability to rule follow to make me right with God. And this is much like the message, if you followed along with us at all in Galatians, that it's much like the message of Galatians, to turn to Christ plus nothing else. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we abandon the idea that we are good enough or can make up for the wrong things we've done. Right? He says, stop following religion, follow me. Stop following your own performance, your own beauty, your own morality, and follow me. Trust me. I alone can save. So Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead because the law produces nothing but death in Romans chapter 6. Religion is a man-made system of self-salvation that cannot save. The only thing that it can do is reveal to you that it can't save you so that you might turn to Christ for salvation. And that's the irony that we see again even here. That in our efforts to keep the law, we're actually condemned by the law. So Jesus calls a tax-collecting scumbag to join his inner circle because this Matthew, who was a tax collector, knew he was guilty. You didn't have to convince him that he had broken the law. He knew it. So Jesus starts there. That's where he begins to save. Friends, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to leave your religion. You need to stop trying to prove yourself. And you'll need to let Jesus prove you for you. Amen. Amen? All right, last thing. Some of you actually might like this one a little bit too much, but you need to leave your family. <laughs> um, verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, <clears throat> but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And, he, and Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Oh my gosh, Jesus, chill, right? He's, he just wants to go bury his dad and say, say bye to his family. This, is that too much to ask? So the, the call to leave your family, it just, it seems unreasonable. It seems provocative. It's what, um, there's a whole book. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's, it's, it's like that thick. So you want something to like hold your papers down, buy this one. 
right? Like it's called Hard Sayings of the Bible, and it's by Walter Kaiser. So it deals with things like eat my flesh and drink my blood. What the heck's going on there, right? Um, and all the things in the Bible that just don't sit well with us and provides really good explanations. It's actually a really good book. This is in it. Um, this is one of those hard sayings of the Bible. I can't say bye to mom? Saying goodbye and burying fathers, that's just the right thing to do. I don't even know why Jesus is bringing this up. But you know, if you, if you really, really think through, if you know the Bible, you're going to remember a place in Genesis chapter 2. The earliest part of the Bible, right in the creation story, tells kids to leave mom and dad. Do you know that? This is before sin. This is before the fall. This is not a curse thing. We are commanded to leave mom and dad. A man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. Right? Right in Eden, the perfect paradise, we are told that our devotion is supposed to shift out from our nuclear family and it's, it needs to connect somewhere else. Right? So in Genesis 24, man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And these then are told to go into the world to fill it and subdue it. So what, what's going on here? In Genesis, the devotion to wife is greater than the devotion to mom and dad. So mom and dad don't call the shots. They don't get to decide where kids live. You are the authority of, over your family. It's a new headship. So the symbol here for us is that likewise, what Jesus is saying is that we have a new authority in Christ. And it's not familial. It's not based on friendships. It's not based on blood relationships. We have a new authority, and that authority is not mom and dad. It is Jesus Christ. In marriage, it means that we are chiefly devoted to our wives or husbands, not our moms and dads or pre-existing family structures. In the kingdom, it means that we are chiefly devoted to Jesus Christ above the closest of all earthly relationships. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to hate mom and dad. Whoa! And what does he mean there? It doesn't mean that you have to hate their gods and make fun of them behind their backs, right, and do bad things to them. What he's saying is, your devotion to me needs to be, it needs to overrule your, your devotion to your parents. So if I call you to go to China, because it's going to break mom's heart, right? You're going to do it, what I say, because there's a greater kingdom, and our kingdom is not of this world, right? This is radical self-sacrifice. This is a complete shift of how often we don't operate as Christians. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ completely and totally and fully, no matter what he tells us. He is the Lord, and we are not. <clears throat> Jesus isn't saying here that we don't care for or consider or, or even respect the people that we love. But what he, what, what he does mean is that we follow Jesus wherever he leads, whenever he leads us, no matter what. Even if it's a way and out and even against the wishes of those people that are around us. And now here is the irony of this part of leaving family. That in the efforts 
for us to preserve and keep the safety and security of human relational intimacy, we miss out on the greater Father's love. We lose the only one that we can perfectly call dad. Listen, this is what I'm saying, is if you really want to follow dad, follow the better one, right? The father who made you, who loves you unconditionally. Now, here's the implication. So I said, you know, there's um, the cost, um, the heaviness, the weightiness of following Christ. Now, here, here's an implication. Following Jesus, <laughs> so I, I, I wrote one thing, and I was like, that's, that's too hard, so I'll cross it out and I'll soften it. So I'm going to read the hard one. Um, I changed my mind right now. Following, following Jesus means we need to grow up. And what do I mean by that? We need to stop making our own demands for our own life and being the king of our own soul and follow Jesus and listen to what he says. We need to grow up. Right? There's a maturing from childhood to adulthood that needs to happen. And friends, I say that to my own heart and my own soul too. Because there, if sometimes in my life it, I feel as if like I've grown up, but then I enter into sin and I get weird and I almost I become immature again. That can happen. We go up and down, right? And I need to sort of like repeatedly say to myself, Kyle, grow up. Do I really believe the Lord, that he's the Lord of heaven and earth? Do I believe what I say I believe? Or is it just words? I got to do it. I got to actually love the Lord and actually do what I claim to believe in. To stop following my own way and to following the Lord's way. It means I need to stop making excuses. It means that we need to stop looking at pornography. It means that we need to be faithful to our wives and love them. It means that we need to be accountable to God's people and show up, right? It means maybe for some of us it's time to get a job, like as simple as that, right? Because the Bible tells us to work. We need to stop making excuses, grow up, get a job, read your Bibles, pray, stop. We need to just stop with all the, uh, all the varied excuses that, well, you know, this bad thing happened to me, this thing's going on, I feel bad for myself, so I'm just going to kind of sit around. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with all this inner turmoil by putting the TV on, right? Or eating a big pizza or something like this, right? Oh, friends, we need to start to just grow up. I need to grow up. I need to read my Bible to pray. Oh, maybe, maybe our former governor, Romando, said it right. We need to just knock it off, right? Knock it off. Oh, we're the church, we're God's redeemed, we're his people. We're the answer for the salvation of humanity. And friends, I'm not, I'm not trying to make much of refuge. The church is the answer. And we're a part of that. You're a part of that. Oh, how important this is to remember these things. It really, at the heart of it, it means that we're just going to stop worshiping ourselves and start worshiping the Lord, Right? And this leads to uh, a conclusion. Okay, so now I'm done shooting you and me. Um, let's talk about how this is better. This is better, you, you know, like, oh, this is hard, and now I feel like, oh, what, you know, I, I don't know if I can do this. It's better. It's better than our solutions. This actually helps us. 
It makes us whole. It gives us peace and love and joy. All the stuff that we're after by trying to fix every relationship that's broken, by trying to get comfort after a hard day of work, like all the stuff that we try to figure out our lives with and make things better with, following Jesus, is this, it gives you the answer that you've been after all along. And that's the greatest irony. We put all our answers down, we sacrifice them, we follow Jesus, and we get what we've been looking for the whole time. Amen? Jesus isn't saying we should diss our parents. He's not saying we should divorce our spouse for him, right? We can't twist my words this morning, hopefully you won't <laughs> get that out of this, that we can't have money, that we can't take vacations. He's not even saying that you can't watch Stranger Things. Okay? He is saying, this is what he's saying, that our hearts should not be commanded by these things, slaves to these things. In other words, we trust them to heal us and to help us when only he can. To be a disciple is to have a heart wed to the Lord Jesus Christ, married to Christ and not to this world. And it's this unashamed and dogged running alongside the master that is better. It's better. There's a story um, that you, you guys might know about, and maybe you've read it before, but John the Baptist is doing his ministry, and John the Baptist is like a rock star. Everybody knows his name. They're all coming out into, like, the desert to go see him. There's no seating, there's no air conditioning, and there's no food. He's eating bugs. And thousands of people are coming to him to be baptized and listen. He's the man. Then Jesus shows up. Nobody knows who he is yet. And two of his disciples are standing with him one day. And Jesus walks by. And John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know what his two disciples did? Immediately, they left him and followed Christ. What? Stay with the winner. Right? No one even knows who he is yet. Yet they leave John the Baptist, a proven hero, a strong leader for someone that no one even knew. And you want to know why they did it? Because Jesus is better than John the Baptist. And Jesus is better than our TV. And Jesus is better than getting married. And Jesus is better than having money and taking vacations. And Jesus is better than comfortable chairs and air-conditioned church buildings. Jesus is better than living in Rhode Island and having a house. Jesus is better than all of these things. So follow him. Follow him. Follow the Lord. And what you'll find as you do is that he is the rest that we've been looking for. He is the religion that saves us. He is the love that we found in the better spouse, by leaving all the things that we wanted, by surrendering those things to his will, we actually get them all back, but we get them back in an unexpected form, not in the form of a new relationship or a new job or a big pile of money, not in the sense of, you know, I trusted Jesus and he provided all my needs and gave me everything I wanted. No, not in that sense at all. He gave us himself, and that's really what I wanted all the time. You see, he doesn't give us a couch or a nice dad or a home. 
he gives us a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life, the one preparing a better home for us, the bridegroom. He says, come, put it all down, burn your boats, and follow me. And when we start to exercise this, when we start to hear the call of Christ, what happens with us is we become fit. We start learning what it means to be fit. And we can climb our own proverbial Mount Adams. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good. And we love you. And you call all of us today. You say these words to us. Follow me. Follow me. Oh, friends, that you would follow Christ. That we would just begin to collectively ask the question of like, what ways have I refused to follow him? What things in my life have become idols, have become more important than him? That I'm just using him to get. Oh God, that we would love you most. That we, that we would leave John the Baptist in a second if the Messiah walked by. Oh God, I pray that we would. I pray that you would save, that our lovely Lord, God, would appear to us <clears throat> in this moment. God, I thank you, Lord, for, um, I just got a note, Fran um, is with Christ. God, I thank you, Lord that when Christ just moments ago opened heaven, he said, follow me, and Fran responded in kind. God, thank you, Lord, that we are following you too. I pray give us strength to do this. How we love you and ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.